If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins multi-active cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C-Holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While Multi-Active Creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off. A free welcome gift plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. I heard about the Wendigo by happenstance. About two years ago, I was on a nice fishing trip in the uppers of Minnesota with a couple of old buddies from grade school. Don't ask, it was their idea. Apparently, some folks like to freeze their asses off for fun and minimal returns, at least in my case. Anyway, after about an hour of sitting on a frozen lake, I tossed my lines and told my friends they could find me at the diner by the lake, sipping something very, very hot. So I made my way there, miffed as hell that I had gone along with this plan in the first place. Ice fishing? Really? I had been convinced fishing in the dead of winter was going to be anything other than wretched. But once I was eating some warm stew with a piping mug of coffee in hand, I started feeling a little better and a little more generous towards my friends and their favorite pastime. The diner was cozy, the music was good, vintage motel, and there were just a few patrons, one of whom was a young lady at the end of the counter, eating a burger so fast I was sure someone was coming to steal it. I puzzled over her for a moment. She seemed like one of those people who was both utterly lost and comfortably at home in the world. And after my moment of assessment was through, I couldn't help but head over and ask what brought her into this winter wasteland. Surely she wasn't a nice fisher, too. She wasn't, it turned out. Her name was Shania. She was Ojibwe. She grew up on the nearby reservation. And who's to say how we got on the topic? Probably from my comments on the weather. 
But at some point, she made this remark that had my ears perking up. She said, the temperature isn't the worst thing about winters up here. Listeners, this woman positively reeked of an untold story. And one thing you should know about me is that I love an untold story. Especially if they have an air of something otherworldly to them. So I asked, pleasant and charming as can be, what she meant by that. She replied in the deep, desolate guts of winter, if the freeze doesn't get you, the Wendigo will. She told me that in Ojibwe, the word Wendigo means winter cannibal monster. Literally. And that right there should tell you most of what you need to know. It's the most bloodthirsty beast in existence. Picture an impossibly tall, hairy Goliath with teeth as big as a forearm. But its worst quality isn't how it looks. Nope. The worst thing about the Wendigo is its character. It's cursed with an insatiable hunger. No matter how much it eats, it's never full. That's why it's perpetually thin and aching for meat. It always wants more. Shania admitted no one really knew exactly how Wendigos came into existence. Some say it was an ancient evil spirit that possesses a person and compels them to feast upon its kin. Others think the first Wendigo was born centuries ago, when the Europeans began descending on the native island. Some say a band of those colonizing assholes got lost in the woods in the dead of winter and had to eat one another to stay alive. The taste of human flesh. Well, at least one individual took a liking to it. Let me rephrase. He craved it, badly enough that it drove him nuts. And as he prowled the woods, searching for more of the unnatural sustenance, he eventually became more beast than man. So the Wendigo wasn't just some monster of the frigid ether. He used to be a person with a life, a soul. Side note here. If that's true, and I've come to believe it is, more on that soon, it means we're all capable of becoming this thing. All it takes is a nibble of a friend's toe in the depths of the icy wilderness. The Ojibwe say one thing, the Cree have other thoughts. Generations of lore is like playing a thousand-year-old game of telephone, which should have been comforting. But then, Shania leaned into whisper. That's why I should listen to her. Because unlike the others, she'd met a Wendigo and was probably the only person alive who could tell me how horrific a creature it really was. Worse than I could imagine. You're listening to Run, Fool. I'm Rodney Barnes, and this is episode one, The Wendigo. Before Shania got into it, she ordered a slice of pie and confided that her encounter with the Wendigo had happened just two months back, right after the first snowstorm of the season. So it was fresh. She apologized if it came out a little fast and jumbled. It still freaked her out a little, talking about it. 
Up until the start of winter, she'd been living in Minneapolis, working some corporate jobs she didn't feel was worth telling me about. And around lunchtime one day, she got a call from a number she hadn't heard from in some time. Her parents. Shania explained she wasn't exactly chummy with her folks. See, she'd grown up on the reservation that sits on the other side of Leech Lake, the same place I'd been trying to ice fish on. But Shania left four years back to engage in what her parents considered capitalist white person bullshit. But listen, how she moved on and made her own way in the world isn't the point of the story. Shania was adamant about that. It's not where she went. It's what she left back on Leech Lake. Because what she left behind was her brother, Ozen. Let's hold up one more minute. I don't want to prolong getting into the guts of this story any more than I already have. But there are a few things about Shania and Azim that are important to know up front. The Sibs were only one year apart, basically twins, and they were fiercely competitive with one another. One of them did something, the other one had to do it better. You know the types. The goal was always faster, stronger, and smarter. They even had the silver medal their uncle got made for them, which they laid claim over any time one of them would do something noteworthy. It was kind of endearing when they were kids and all, but as they got older, it caused some epic fights. One in particular was Shania's decision to ditch lake life. Ozen felt abandoned by that, but more importantly, they both knew she'd basically gotten the edge in their tit-for-tat. What's more of a competition killer on the reservation than someone moving off of it and finding a new life, a better life? They hadn't talked since. It should not be the first one to admit her pride got in the way of picking up the phone and mending fences, even if she was the winner. Instead, she sat with her guilt, day in and day out, making note of how each week, month, year that passed was one more she'd wasted not having Ozan in her life. Anyway, Shania steered me back to that phone call, the one from her parents, because by now, I was in the know enough to understand why their message made her jump in the car and start the three-plus-hour trek to Leech Lake. Come home they'd said. It's Ozzy. I'd venture a guess that if you're from Minnesota, you've heard of Leech Lake. It's the third largest in the state, after all, and it sits within the Leech Lake Reservation, home to the Ojibwe Band. And that reservation sits in the middle of a whole lot of wilderness. Wilderness that looks and feels bleaker the colder it gets. It was dark by the time Shania pulled into her parents' drive, despite it only being about half past four in the afternoon. Towering, snow-clawed branches hung heavy over her childhood home, a one-story, brown-shingled place, well-cared for, but pretty old. They were lucky to have it, though. The reservation had plenty of Ojibwe regularly looking for shelter. She could see there was a fire roaring inside as she approached the door which gave her a hit of warm nostalgia, thinking of all the times she and Ozen fell asleep in front of the hearth. That warm feeling didn't last. Her parents barely looked up when she came in. They were rigid with worry 
as they told her all about her missing brother. About a year ago, Ozen cut a deal with some men that the community pegged as, well, for lack of a better description, greedy motherfuckers. They were in real estate, trying to nab some reservation lakefront for vacation rentals. Their bids were all rejected, which was good for the Ojibwe. But bad for Ozen, who'd intended on making some cash. So he took the men to look for another spot to erect their tourist oasis. Up around the Slipknot. Shania stopped her story briefly to clarify. The Slipknot was this gorgeous mountain with incredible views of the lake. But it was an odd choice for real estate moguls. Getting there wasn't for the faint of heart. It was at least a half day's walk through confusing terrain and a whole lot of thick pines. Anyway, her parents told her the day after he'd left there'd been a storm, a bad one, the first snowy spew of winter, and now he'd been gone for almost a month. They had to look for him once the snow calmed down, but their bodies don't move as quickly as they used to or for as long. They had to turn back. Neighborhood search parties hadn't found him either. Shania could, they said. She always had a sixth sense when it came to her brother, one they didn't have. That's why they called. What they didn't say was, otherwise, they never would have. But Shania felt the implication hang there anyway. She made some excuse to her parents. Bathroom or air or something. She couldn't remember. Then dipped out to take a breath. Seconds later, she found herself standing in the room she used to share with her brother. Not that she recognized it. Gone were the posters, knickknacks, decor. The walls were bare. Twin beds were gone, with one larger, neatly made one in its place. It was like Ozen had scrubbed the place of anything that felt like them. Shania sat on the mattress, feeling the old springs creak under her. She felt something else, too, under the quilt. It was a palm-sized silver medallion with ragged spikes around its edges. Their metal, the one they used to fight over. Half-throwing star, half-achievement award. It said the best on it. A little on the nose, but their uncle hadn't been the most creative. And just, damn. Staring at that metal base, Shania feel a whole lot of things she couldn't begin to process. So instead, she rose to open the window and let the harsh freeze wake her up like a slap across the face. Then something else made her wake up even more, because she swore that underneath that whooshing, frigid breeze, she could hear something that didn't make a whole lot of sense. It was her brother's pleading, desperate voice screaming her name. Shania doesn't remember jamming the metal into her pocket, pulling on the family furs and packing a backpack, but she does remember flying out of the door and straight into the immense looming wilderness. All she gave to her parents was a brief explanation that she was going to look for that asshole. She didn't want to tell them about the voice. They wouldn't believe her. Hell, 
she didn't even know if she believed it. Logic was telling her some nice stories, you see. Stories like, could have been the wind, or it was all in her head. And she was just sensitive from being in that room with all those memories. But another part of her, the louder part, said, screw it. Because if that was Ozan, then it sounded like he needed her help. About ten minutes into her journey, she was pissed at that louder part. It was dark. She only had her old flashlight beam to guide her. She didn't know where to look. And she never had to say this to Ozan, but she wasn't as sure-footed in the woods as he was. And, well, it was fucking cold. The wind whipped at her face, finding any tiny inch of skin that she'd left exposed. She reached in her pack and jacked out some hand warmers. Wasn't intending on using them this early, but Chennai was a city girl now. Soon as those were snug in her gloves, she felt better and let herself take a beat and make some kind of plan. But before she could, the wind picked up then. A gust so heavy, it made her take a step back. And with that wind, once again, was the echoing sound of Ozen, calling her name. And this time, his cries didn't die. He kept on wailing. So, she followed his voice into the bowels of the forest. Trailing after her brother reminded her of when they would race around the lake. He'd always be in front, calling back to her to hurry up. Just like in those days, Shania could hear him up ahead, but the voice quickly grew distant, like he was picking up his pace. So she picked up hers to match, called after him, telling him she was coming and to wait for her, but he didn't. Soon she was sprinting, leaping over logs and skirting trees. Her flashlight beam wobbled with her jerking movement, making her dizzy. Then, it was quiet. When Shania stopped, a look around told her she was in some kind of makeshift camp, an absolutely obliterated one. Snow log tents stuck out of drifts. Bags and supplies were scattered around. No sign of people. It was almost completely silent. Not even an owl's hoot. It was like all of the living had decided this was a place they'd rather avoid. Shania tried to work out what this meant, whether this site was Ozzy's. So she toured the area, kicking up snow to uncover a bag of frozen food, a parka, and then a cell phone. It was shattered with a smiley sticker smirking on the back. Her brother's. His phone, his campsite. Maybe he'd gone into one of those tents. She chose the nearest one, then went over and slowly pulled a flap aside, looked in, and immediately wished she hadn't. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Inside that tent was a thick, vicious pool of blood. And in its center, 
a human leg. It still had its pants on, the fabric color unrecognizable because it was sodden with crimson. Shania backed away fast and tripped on something buried in the snow. She smashed her knee into the ground, but was on her feet quickly, eyes on whatever the hell she fell over. The owner of the leg, most likely, or what was left of him. It was a torso, with his head hanging at a tilt, attached to the neck by a long, frayed tendon. And as Shania waved her flashlight from the sight from hell, for the first time she could venture a guess at what had happened, this man was attacked. He had bite marks all over. His skin gnawed to the quick. Half of his torso was totally eaten away. Shania's only solace was that this poor soul was definitely not her brother. The tattoo, for one, an intricate gothic cross. Fat chance her brother would have ever put that on his body. But that thought was fleeting, because a surge of bile rose in her throat, and she was suddenly puking her guts out in a snowdrift. Except she should have picked a different drift. Because when she wiped her mouth and looked up, she caught a glimpse of what lay on the other side. A literal massacre. A graveyard of body parts was spread across the snow. Some eaten to the bone. Others with the flesh half torn away, blowing lightly in the wind. The white snowscape was soaked in red, making the whole thing resemble some kind of gory stained glass. Shania booked it the other way, stopping to catch her breath in the center of camp. A barrage of questions made her head ache. What the fuck did this? A wolf? A bear? And did any of those body parts belong to her brother? Maybe his voice wasn't calling her for help. It was his spirit guiding her to his grave. But then her flashlight caught something at the far end of the camp. A piece of yellow fabric caught on a bush. Shania hurried over. It was a bracelet with a phrase in Ojibwe. The top of the mountain isn't high enough. Ozens. She was sure of that. She waved her flashlight at the ground. Footprints. They were almost completely covered by fresh snow. But she could see indents, along with a faint trail of blood. Whatever horrors had happened here, Ozen might have made it out. Time passed slowly as Shania trudged through the ever-deepening snowdrifts. The wind fought her every inch of the way, till she ventured a guess that she'd never been more tired in her life. But she was locked in on Azen's bloody trail. Her shaky flashlight beam was dimmer now, the battery dying. But the trail grew thicker as she went, leading her through the snow, snaking between trees until it disappeared inside a cave. That's exactly the moment her flashlight chose to die. Classic, right? I mean, of course. This is when the fucking thing breaks. She smacked it against her palm a few times, but it was as dead as those men back there. Shania hated how her voice shook when she called her brother's name, but she was terrified, okay? Because just to recap, she was deep in the woods. Some animal had ripped through a camp and eaten people. And now she was standing in front of a cave, which either held her brother or the beast that had done the deed. And to top it all off, the freeze was getting worse. 
way worse. Shania was colder than she'd ever remembered feeling before, like something had crawled inside her furs and turned her veins to ice. Darkness surrounded her like a weighted blanket, compressing her chest along with the unnatural chill. Shania was just considering why she was still standing there when she heard it. Hazen's voice, now coming from the cave, he said, Is that you? But before she could reply, a guttural growl echoed from inside the rock walls. It should have terrified her. It did terrify her. But in hindsight, it actually seemed kind of harmless compared to what came next. Manic, high-pitched laughter. As soon as that unnatural chuckle emanated from that cave, Shania saw something emerge from the mouth. A massive shape. Nothing but shadows and murk. Too big to be a bear or a wolf or anything that was supposed to exist in this world. She couldn't see what it was, but she also didn't stand there waiting to get a better look. Shania's cumbersome boots slid in the snow as she took off, her heart pounding faster than her feet would thud. Her mind was going a mile a minute. She'd heard Ozzy, which meant he was in that cave, suffering, waiting for her. The thought made her slow a moment before she picked up her pace again. Because if Ozzy was there, that thing was guarding it. Something inhuman. The stuff of old Ojibwe legends, like the Rolling Heads or the Ghost Witch or the Wendigo. The Wendigo. Her parents warned her and Ozzy about that thing when they were kids. One of those tales that people thought stopped their children from going too deep in the woods, but really just fucked them up. Those stories kept Shania up at night. Dreams of a monster who was driven by a never-ending hunger, who refused to die unless you shit. She was sure they told her it had some kind of weakness, but hell, it'd been years. Like it mattered. If this was really a Wendigo, she was completely fucked. All of a sudden, her foot slid out from under her as she pitched forward. Her body shot downwards, hitting a rocky sloping incline as she hurtled towards the depths of who knows where. When she finally came to a hard stop, she took stock of things. She'd walk right off a ledge into a damn gully, and a rock had her leg pinned. She shoved at it with everything she had, but it wouldn't budge. She spent a while lying there, pushing, crying, and swearing with all the rotten vocab she had in her repertoire. But at some point, her arms ached and her chest burned so badly, all she could do was throw her head in her hands for a good old-fashioned sob. Then she caught the stench of rancid meat and felt a hot, vapid breath wash against the top of her forehead. It was tall, almost absurdly so, and then to the point where she could see its entire ribcage beneath patchy, matted fur and rotting gray skin. But when it leaned closer to her, she could see its lips were gnawed and bloody, hanging loose around its mouth like macabre curtains. A long, flopping tongue lashed out to lick its massive fangs, 
Another waft of putrid breath hit her face as this thing spoke. That voice which had once called to her now made her feel sick enough to collapse in the snow right then and there. That was Ozan's voice. Like the gods themselves had heard her thoughts, the cloud shifted, sending a beam of moonlight straight into the behemoth's face. Above the gnarly mouth and torn up lips, above the slitted nostrils, were a pair of human eyes. Not just any eyes, her brothers. Ozan hadn't been eaten by the Wendigo. He was the Wendigo. Shania's throat felt thick with fear, but she managed to croak out the only thing she could think to ask. How? Then, with a wicked taunting lift, Ozan hissed out his story. How a storm had trapped them in the woods, how one of the men had died quickly, and how Ozan, well, the longer Ozan resisted feeding on the corpse, the more tempting it seemed. Until finally, he had a little taste. And then he had more. And then more. But even after he'd finished, even after he consumed the others in his party, it wasn't enough. It was never enough. Now, there were a few things Shania knew at this moment. First of all, she was probably moments away from being slaughtered. Second, it was her own brother who'd do the slaughtering. Third, and she wasn't proud of this, that also meant he was finally going to win whatever bullshit sibling rivalry they'd had. But the last thing she knew was that those were Eisen's eyes. That was his voice. And no matter how unreasonable a thought it was, Shania was wondering if there was still some of her brother and this deranged creature. So she found herself telling Ozan all the things she'd held close to her chest since she'd left the lake. That she was sorry. That she missed him. That she loved him. Then, trembling, she fished the metal out of her pocket. She wanted to know if he remembered how they fought over it relentlessly. Well, here it was. He could have it. He deserved it. Jaws snapping, Ozan lunged forward, straight for Shania's throat. On instinct, she held her hand up, a feeble attempt to defend herself, except maybe not so feeble, because she had that damn metal in her hand, and its jagged ridges caught Ozan's throat, ripping through his skin like butter. All he could do was admit a gurgle as he fell, pouring entrails onto Shania's lap as he went. He lay there, twitching, staring up at Shania. Before the light went out in his eyes, she was sure they'd held a glimmer of recognition. Then, he went still. Covered in blood, she lay there, not in the least bit sure what had just happened. A glint from the now gut-soaked metal in her hand made it click. Silver. That was what her parents had said. Silver was just about the only material that could fell a Wendigo. With that, she started laughing. Her own manic laugh. Delirious, horrified, but soon turned to great big heaving sobs because she'd finally, really and truly, bested Ozzy. 
And as she sat there, staring at his monstrous face, she'd wish more than anything that she hadn't. When Shania finished her story, her shoulders slumped, like telling it had taken something from her she couldn't get back. Neither of us said boo for at least a minute. It was Shania who broke the silence. She said she finally got the rock off her foot, then dragged her brother the whole way home. She nearly froze, nearly starved. She said that was a part of the story I wouldn't want to hear, and one she didn't care to relive. And then she ordered another burger, telling the waiter to be quick about it. There was an edge to her voice as she did it. All it took was that, and a quick fiddle with her shirt sleeve for me to realize it was time I got out of there. I paid for my meal, thanked Shania for the story, and was on my way. I didn't want her to know what I'd seen. The matted fur on her arm, the hungry gleam in her eyes. It made me guess at what she'd undergone in that journey home what she'd done to survive. Because by now, I knew a Wendigo when I saw one. Run Fool is a production of Ballin Studios, Campside Media, and At Will Media. It is hosted and executive produced by me, Rodney Barnes. This episode was written by Kate Murdoch and produced by Abakar Adan. Edited by Matt Sher. It was sound designed and mixed by Kevin Seaman. Our team also includes Rosie Guerin, Will Malnati, and Matt Hickey. Creature vocalization by Terry Casburn and artwork by Jessica Clogston Kiner. Production support by Jeremy Bond and Cole Locasio. Special thanks to Mark McAdam and Seth Richardson and our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Executive producers at Ballin Studios are Mr. Ballin, Nick Witters, and Zach Levitt. Executive producers at Atwell Media are Will Malnati and Rosie Garrett. Executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Sher, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Adam Hoff. Thanks for listening and see you next week.